We're going to pick up into a new phase of this. But still, what we were talking about last week was the preparation of the ship. Now this week, we're going to see what actually happens to it. So in Acts chapter 27, that's Acts 27 by the, direct, 27, by the direction of Dr. Luke, who is actually allowed to be with Paul as he is actually a prisoner, we pick up in verse 18, And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth. Now, this is new. We didn't go to this last week. This is where we pick up. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained his harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. They must have thought he was crazy. And Paul says, I saw an angel, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, and that's the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the shipmen, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded, and founded twenty fathoms, and when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color, as though they were have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. Look at verse 37. Look at the detail here. And we were in all in the ship 203 score and 16 souls. 276 people were on that boat. Remember what we saw in that video last week? We're going to see it again. The boat was completely overtaken by people. What do you do with 276 people on a boat that small? Can you imagine how horrible that was to be in that ship for a month? They were in it for a month. I can't imagine being on a, Nor on a, a Norwegian cruise vessel for a week. I hate cruise lines. I don't ever want to be on them. I, I know people that just love them. I'm, not a big, I'm just not a big cruise person. I like little boats. I like fishing boats. 
I like little fishing boats. I like charter boats. We, me and the boys, we, we go, go to a buddy of mine. We go charter. We go rock fishing every now and then. That's as far out as I want to go. And I want it sunny. I want it beautiful. I want plenty of food on board. And I want to be back in about three hours. One month. Huh? No, no, I don't even want to be on a boat to begin with. I love the water, I like swimming a lot, but I do not want to be on this coastal ship with 276 people. A lot of them were murderers and prisoners. We're going to look at that. Paul is on the way to Italy. It's a treacherous journey. Paul has appeared, appealed to Caesar and to Rome, and the Lord said, you're going. Dr. Luke writes it. He speaks of Rome. He gives great deal about all of this. And if you, if you ever get a chance to read about this and you start studying about it, you go online and start Googling stuff. I don't really recommend Wikipedia. It's kind of generic. It's got some good stuff. But there's some really good old like Encyclopedia Britannica and other ones. You ought to see all of the incredible archaeological finds that they had proving what happened in this day and age. In fact, we're going to see a video today. You're going to see an actual anchor from one of these boats. And this is the kind of stuff that's there. There's so much infallible proof and undeniable proof that all of this happened that anybody that says that the Bible is just a fable is just crazy. These are rickety old ships. They were weathered. They were held together by dowels and rusty nails and rope. And it's incredible how they were able to keep so many people on board at the same time. But what's also incredible is we'll see the, the, the personal. We're looking at the personal side of it where Paul the Apostle, who is a committed criminal, according to the Jews, and put all this pressure on Rome, they allow him to have friends on board. That was completely unprecedented, especially by the Roman Imperial Navy, to have friends if you're a criminal and you're supposed to be taken and you're supposed to be incarcerated. Total, totally unprecedented. Here Paul's on his third missionary journey. He's one, we're going to look at Julius just a little bit more. We've talked about him a little bit. But Julius Augustus, he is a centurion of the band of the Roman Imperial Navy. And basically, just as Cornelius, he has so many men that he presides over. So they left a dramatium, which is off the coast of Africa. Already, we've already talked about how they went to Alexandria. That was a smaller number of people. That's done with. That's over with. When they sailed, they had to get on another freighter ship. This next one is the one Paul's on now. This is the one headed to Italy. And basically, the only way that you can wrap your mind around this, why he had to be taken over to basically different ships, it's like if you were on a standby flight and you wanted to go and you wanted to save some money and you wanted to like go out of the country or you know, we wanted to go uh, you know, somewhere on the east, west coast, you want a standby flight, you're liable to get on three or four different planes, aren't you? You're liable to get on one going. You might be wanting to go out to California, but you might wind up going to Texas or Florida and going and maybe out to Minnesota or something, and then you eventually wind up there. Kind of the same principle with these boats. All they could do was take what was available. And the very fact that the availability put them in this type of time of year shows how dangerous this really was, and especially with all the weight that was on board. So we see once again that when they get out into the Mediterranean, that it was very tempestuous. There were all these winds. Thank the Lord that the, the, the water does not get below 52 degrees, as we talked about. But Paul here is linked with prisoners, just as our Lord is. And we see these coastal vessels that would go off the coast of Africa, and then they would sail to Italy, 
And we're going to see today how important it was and what their objective was on these boats and why it was so important for them to do what they did before we, before we, um, we, we watch this uh, video from Malta. So with all this going on, the stage is set. Paul has been told by the Lord all the way back in chapter 23, he's going to Rome. How exactly he's going to do it, he didn't know. But he trusted the Lord. And no matter how he was to go, Paul was ready for the journey. Who were a couple of the men that were on board with him? Does anybody remember? Yes, Aristarchus. Excellent. Anyone else? Yes, Dr. Luke. So he had some help there. So that was a very great blessing for Paul to have a couple of friends with him. Later on, we'll see him in the prison epistles that basically he's stuck in jail. And he only has one, I think, Theophilus comes and brings him his coat. And he's by himself as Dr. Luke has gone. And he's either dead or he's on another journey or another missionary journey somewhere. And then Timothy was gone because he was presiding over the church. And Paul would be very lonely. But we do read as we go forward, and I did want to bring this up. Once we, once we get to the Isle of Malta, which will be next week, it said Paul had gone there to refresh himself. And I did a little research. I'm just going forward a little because I want to tell you the state that Paul was in right now. When it says refresh, that's actually an ancient medical term. He needed help. Paul was very sick at this time. And so when you take everything into consideration about where they were, he had everything working against him. As a Christian, we will find ourselves in many times, and especially maybe as we get older, a lot of things are working against us. But don't ever underestimate what the Lord can do with you. Don't ever underestimate that. That's, that's the, the, the application. It's so important here. Paul gives them advice. Now, Paul had given them advice, and he had told them specifically, this is not a good time to go. But they decided they're going to do it. They have got a mission that they have to take care of. They were not good listeners. And basically what we need to remember is what the Lord says. He tells us that we need to, heart, we need to listen. Here, Proverbs 4.10 says, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. And we need to remember, we need to be as Christians, we need to be as good, real good listeners. Well, Paul had said we really need to wait. He had told them along the way many things that they should do or should not do. And at this point, they hadn't listened to him until the boat, the boat actually breaks apart is when they start listening to him. And even then, it was, it was, they weren't listening to him very well. And so Paul, he said this season going into the winter, it's not prudent to make such a sub, take a subpar vessel into the raging seas. Now, keep in mind, the whole time this is happening, with all of the the fierce, tempestuous winds, the boat eventually starts breaking apart. Do you have any idea what the chances were of that boat with these called the Euryclidon? Euryclidon, that, that's the north and the east winds coming together. The chances of that boat, that vessel being pulled out to sea and it being crushed and them all drowning because they couldn't get to shore, that was really... Anybody would have bet that's what would have happened with the way these winds are blowing in the time of year. But I want you to keep your focus on the ship itself. From this point forward, no matter what happens, they could not see the stars we read. They could not see the sun. This was going on for weeks at a time. That boat stayed on course right to the island of Malta. 
right off the coast and it never went off of that course. Do you think that was by chance? The only chance 276 people had on board in this situation was if there was a man of God on board and the Holy Spirit was with them. That is the thing that we need to point out. Lisey. Yes. Amen. I, yeah, that's amazing. We can come up with all these examples in Scripture. I think of the, the response of reading last week. We were, we were talking about, uh, we were reading, and Greg read the response of reading, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. It was David that wrote that. And I've always thought, I remember reading something about it a long time ago. I always thought that David was chanting that on the battlefield and yelling, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. And all of his men with the spears and all, were maybe hundreds of thousands of them were yelling, and his mercy endureth forever. And why could he do that? Because with the Lord, who can be against you? How many battles did David ever lose? Starting off with Goliath? Goliath could have broken him in half like a toothpick. And from that point forth, his whole life he never lost a battle. Not one time. Because he had the Holy Spirit with him. He had the Lord with him. And I maintain that's what Israel needs. Israel needs a David right now. We pray for them, but they need a David. Let us keep in clear focus that it was God that commanded these winds and seas for his perfect glory. He commanded them just like the whole story with Jonah. Jonah, you're going to Nineveh. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Who do you think is going to win that? Who's <laughs> going to win that? You go in three falls with the Lord, you're going to lose in the very first bout every single time. I'm not going. I don't want Gentiles. I don't want them to be brought to the Lord. He says, well, you're going. Now, Jonah has a completely different position as Paul does right now. And so basically here, these stormy winds are being brought out of his good treasuries. And in Psalm 135, 7, He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the winds out of their treasuries. You ever lay there at night and we have some of these brutal storms in your house? Or you might be away in a hotel and you're like, you're kind of scared. Think about being in the middle of a ship. Can you imagine that? Being on a boat. I was on a ferry boat one time and that thing was tossing and turning and the weather was horrible. You know, the one thing I love about Scripture is no matter where you're at and you hear those thunders clapping, you hear all of that, that's the Lord doing it. So if, if God can be for you, who can be against you? It doesn't bother me. It doesn't really bother me because I know it's of the Lord and He brings the winds. It, what does it say in John 3, 8? The wind bloweth where it listeth and now can hear the sound of it and now tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every man that is born of the Spirit. That's why these, these idiots that are out there trying to, they, they abort babies but they want to save, the, save the ozone layer. They don't even know where the winds come from and they're sitting there acting like we can save the world by you know, by putting $10,000 worth of emissions on our vehicle. They have no idea. They have no idea at all. We know where it comes from. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou canst hear the sound of. Thou knows where it comes from. And this whole situation, just like Jonah, the Lord had it all perfectly in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got that boat on the way to Malta, and Paul the Apostle, it doesn't matter what happens. He's going to Rome. And nothing's going to stop it. 
And that's the, that's the providence of God. I find it as a Christian amazing to watch this. I just to see how the Lord does this. They fulfill his word. The, the, the creation fulfills his word. Psalm 148.8, fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy winds, fulfilling his word. The ship was tossed to and fro. Psalm 107.26, they mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and at their wit's end. And there's God. And there he is. So we see here the preparation of the vessel. They, 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 they use the means conducive in their time to hold it together. We talked last week how they undergirded the ship. They were doing frapping. Another thing I learned on top of that, we're going to learn that in a minute. The ship was held together for such a time as the Lord allowed it. We see here that eventually the merchandise had to go overboard. And then there's, we saw that there was great despair. And all hope should be taken away, as we read, as Dr. Luke says. Can someone please read Psalm 107, verses 27 to 31? These are wonderful verses for Thanksgiving Sunday. When, things, when all hope seems to be lost. Read these verses. There's a couple, couple people, two or three people this week that are really struggling, and I sent these verses to them this week, these very verses, and they love them. Can someone read that? Psalm 107, 27 to 31. He's amazing. Thank you, Teresa. Even Job himself said the very same words. I often thought, when you read the words of David, I believe that David had a real... He, King David had a real sense of Job. His writings are very much like Job's. And he, oh, that men would praise the Lord. Why not? There's nothing better you can do. Well, as we go forward... As much as Christ could calm the tempest, he could bring the storms. We have and we see here the distress of Paul and the peril of the fellow travelers on board. But there was a little bit different distress that Paul the Apostle had as opposed to the merchants and all the others on board. Here what you had here, we see that Paul is a friend of Christ. He's an apostle. There's, there's passengers on board. There's, other, there's all kinds of different passengers. And we see that this is another unrelenting crisis that Paul has faced in his ministry and every day his life hung in the balance. He was imperiled. He had health issues here. He had beatings. He had stonings, three shipwrecks, riots, and many literal trials. And he was the lowest of the low on the ship because he was not a Roman. He was basically the lowest of the low in the eyes of the Jews, and he was on his way to Rome. And you see that this narrative is a very classic presentation with many scholars showing how much detail there is and what could have happened. And what they were trying to do in this ship is to evade the, 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 what was called the sardis or the quicksands or the sandbar. 
Paul has friends to be able to go with him. There's true brotherly love there. And then we see basically what was on the ship was regarded, and there was a word called the frumenteri. Here, this is the kind of men that were on board. These were men that were assigned for the accompaniment of food. They were envoys of food, special couriers, imperial agents, spying, transporting political prisoners to various garrisons and provinces. Julius commanded an accompaniment of a hundred men. A centurion meant you were a commander of a hundred men. Just like the Roman centurion, we saw Cornelius was back with Peter, hundred men. The Roman centurion that, that said, truly, this was the Son of God, a hundred men. A cohort of soldiers was 300, and you would be a little higher to be able to command all of those. So we have a hundred men, basically Julius. We don't know how many men actually were with Julius to help him, but we do know that there were 276 that we just read, men on the vessel, and the word frumentaire, it's from a Latin word for grain, or a, or a grain uh, distributor. So the importance of these ships was to make sure food got to all of these islands. Very important. And so the fact that they had to throw the food overboard shows how devastating this could have been for the ship and for those that were in charge of the ship. So we see here that in addition to providing grain for the military, the frumentary acquired information about surrounding geography, communication routes, and settlements. These men were able to venture on logistical assignments and report back. And then this information became very valuable, and, with, and, and the, the Roman Empire could actually invade and they could occupy these areas by what the messengers brought back from these ships. So we're taking it up a little bit of a step further as we're going into some new territory this morning, and we can see how important this is. So the normal route we see is from Sidon to Myra. They would cross over the sea, but the winds against were once brutal. And at one point, Paul says, listen, we're close to this one harbor. We need to stop this ship. And they said, no. There was a, they must have gotten, basically, according to... A couple of commentaries and a very incredible uh, documentary that I was... Uh, the ship must have gotten close to sea, I mean, to the coast, and the winds changed, and they all got together and said, these winds aren't that bad, let's go a little bit further. That was a bad decision, because you never knew. Like we were talking about last week, within a matter of four seconds, the waves could change at least four miles an hour just with the, the, the winds. But we find out... What was your Clyden? What was it? Does anybody know? Yes. Yes. It was the north and the west, or the east winds. I forget. It was, I think it was north and west. When you actually studied, it's very simple what it was. They were in the middle of a massive hurricane. Now, how would you like to be on that coastal ship right now? With two sails. No, no, no powered engines at all, of course, back then. You wouldn't have any of that. We're going to see that here in a couple minutes. So basically, they're in a big, they, they've got a real problem on their hands. See, they were supposed to be headed towards the Fairhaven Harbor and towards Canitis. And basically, Paul said, you know, you need to stop here. And they said, nope, nope, we can make it. We're going to keep going. They gambled. They did not harbor the ship. They had several weeks. And now we know for sure that now they're facing the end of October going into November. Why? Because we were reading about the fast. The fast is over. That's Yom Kippur. And that's October the 5th. 
and it says it's way past the feast. And if it's past the feast, at the end of August, heading in all the way to March, you were talking about the most treacherous, tempestuous waves, wind patterns, and horrible swells in the water that there can be. And now they're still pushing forward. And that's what we didn't talk about yet is the fast. But Paul admonishes them, and this, did not, this was not going to end well. So here, they let the ship go. At this point, they were trying to get to Claudia, or Gozo, which today it's a, it's, a, it's a port way off the coast of Italy, and they were trying to get there. It was 23 miles. They went past Fairhaven, where they were supposed to basically harbor the ship and try to get some rest. We're going to see that here in a few minutes. But we see that the stress, they were using fraps, they undergirded the ship, they, and here's a new thing that we didn't know last week. What they would do as they were sailing, what they had on board, and they eventually had to throw this over, they had these great big containers of pitch. And they would have to, once, once they started, like once so there were seams that were starting to bow or the burst, they would take massive parts of pitch and they would put them into the seams and try to hold it together that way and kind of push it in. These men had to work their butts off to keep these ships going. Look at that picture out there in the foyer, the Speedwell. That's the same kind of stuff that they had to do coming over here, the pilgrims, hundreds of years later. I mean, those boats, the Speedwell, wasn't, wasn't that much more... Um, efficient than these coastal ships. That boat out there, when you looked at on that picture, was split in half and they had to take a whole screw to hold it together. 276 people on board. So now you can see why we were talking last week. They had to throw the frapping, the extra frapping tools. They had to get rid of the tackling. They had to start throwing all this stuff over because this boat was very clumsy. It wasn't like some of the more the more seaworthy vessels that could go way out to sea and go across from one continent to another. Well, we see here, but this is all what God wants. The sail down, there were no stars, there was no sun. They would sail directly on course, and the Lord had that boat going right to Mylita or Malta, and that's where they were going to wind up. Paul stands in the midst of them, and he even takes the platform on a failing ship being tossed to and fro, and what does he say? Now we're getting into the spiritual side of it. How many times have we seen Paul in these missionary journeys going from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, church to church, he takes center stage with, for the most part, the highest percentage of people that wanted him dead. He gets in the center of it and he takes the whole stage, he takes the platform, and there they are on a ship being, being thrown to and fro, and he stands up and he starts preaching to him. <laughs> he talk about guts. I mean, he doesn't even care about the way he's like, hey, don't, don't. I mean, Mr. Bird, remember this one. Don't threaten me with heaven, <laughs> right? He's like, I'm not worried about this old ship. Let it go. He goes, I've been beaten so many times and all already. Whatever happens, happens. But the, 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 the rest of the passengers, perhaps they were calling out to their false gods, just like back with Jonah. And, and Paul is going to bring them all to the true God. Paul will make sure of it. Paul, as among these seamen, was not at all an extension of Jonah's voyage and objected. He was a credit to the office of the apostleship where Jonah was a disgrace to the office of a prophet. That's the difference. But Jonah, praise the Lord, look, somebody read Jonah 1.9. Look what was really on Jonah's heart. 
See, the Lord always wins, and he always rises to the top. Jonah 1.9, can somebody read that? This is where he totally agrees with Paul. Not that they even knew each other, but I'd just love to see this connection here. That's it. Jonah said, hey, I know I'm bad. And he said, I know I deserve to go overboard, but before I go, I'm going to leave you a testimony. He created all of this. Oh, yes, we all sit here as Christians. Oh, yeah, we know that. We do. Go outside the doors of this church and see how many people really believe that, that he created all things. And if you really believe that he created them, you will fear him. If you really believe it, if you don't fear him, then you don't believe he created it. So forget that. Paul says, hearken unto me. Paul begins the testimony with a stern rebuke, a very stern rebuke. Ye should have hearkened. And these are not just my words. Paul said, There's other, there, this, these words are God's words and you need to listen to them. Exodus 18, 19, Moses says, Hearken now unto my voice, as the Lord speaks to Moses. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, and thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Leviticus 26, 21. And if ye walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. Proverbs 8, 32. Now therefore hearken unto me. O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Two things Paul does exactly like Jesus. What did we just read that he offered them to do? What did he want them to do? They're in the middle of a, they're, they're in the middle of a tempestuous storm. Do not fear. How does he tell them not to fear? He does exactly what Jesus does in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. What did he do? He fed the 5,000 and he gave them meat. He gave them fish and barley loaves. Paul tells them, before we cast anything else over, go get some meat and eat. You've been fasting now for days because of this tempestuous storm. And he sits down and he has dinner with them, with the boat going back and forth. I want to say somehow there was a miracle here because all these 207, how do you feed 276 people all at once? And he sits back like it was nothing. And he says two things. Number one, Sit down and eat. And number two, fear the Lord. You want to see what this, this may have looked like? Let's go to this video again. Jacob, you got the sound? Let's, let, let me try this again, okay? So that brings up a question. He just said something very uh, profound when it comes to this narrative of what's going on as we get ready to close here in a few minutes. Why do you think, as the, the ship progressed forward, they had to relinquish a lot more of the gear it's headed towards trying to get to the island. Basically, they're, hit, they're hitting that area called Sardis, which actually is a graveyard of ships. Finally, they hit a sandbar, a quicksand, they called it a Sardis, and it breaks apart. The whole back of it just broke apart, and the ship starts going into pieces. Paul says something to them. This is a prophecy. He says, not one hair on your head is going to be touched. Not one hair on your head and none of you are going to die. Why? There's two reasons why that's so important here. Number one, 276 people, many of which were prisoners. Why do you think it was that the centurions stepped up and said, why should we let them live? Why don't we kill them? 
Why do you think that they did that? Anybody has any idea? Lisey. That's exactly right. If, a, if, if Julius has any of escaped prisoners and they're gone, he has to pay with his own life. So that makes this another part of the miracle, that it would have been not unusual for them to take the lives and then for them at least to not lose them. Well, that's not what the Lord said. He said, all 276 of you, Paul told them, I'm, he speaks through Paul, Paul's his chosen vessel, he says, not one hair of your head will be touched. Reminds me of something. Reminds me of something I think very important. Remember, Proverbs 8.32, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Sadly, I think that's very much even today not the standard in many people's lives is putting the Lord first and listening. Two, two things that Paul had done is he encouraged them in fellowship to break bread and to eat. They had not eaten in many days, so they got to eat before the ship broke apart. And then he tells them, the God, the God whom I serve has told me to tell you that not one hair on your head will be touched. He does two things. He feeds them, he encourages them. He, he gives them, he, he shows them how they're going to be saved. Reminds me of Daniel chapter 3, verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, the governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They're in the middle of a fire that had been stoked seven times, and they didn't even have the smell, the smell of smoke on their hair. That's exactly what Paul said. Your hair, not even your hair will be, you won't even lose one hair on your head. And I believe that was literal. And so as you go forward, Paul gets on the island of Malta. I think this is fascinating. Wait till you see what happens on the island. Let's finish, though. Let's finish with prayer. I'd ask maybe, uh, Jacob, could you close us this morning?